Hey, super fans, you can join Terry, <laughs> Terry Farrell, the Trek experts in outer space, as we make the trek to the greatest Star Trek locations of all time, along of all with time, all time, everywhere all time. in the known universe, along with a galactic gaggle of Trek and sci-fi celebrities. Galactic. How much constitutes a gaggle? Well, I don't at, know. At, at least two or three. I have never right. bothered to calculate it. <laughs> well, pre-production has already begun, but you can get some great backer rewards and help us get production going this summer by joining us at MakeTheTrek.com today. That's MakeTheTrek.com. And check out everything you can do to support the Trexperts and Terry Farrell as we boldly go to the greatest Trek locations of all time. We may even tell you what God needs with the Starship. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. This is Darren Doctorman. And this is Ashley Miller. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And that means we're experts on Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Does it now? <laughs> we're, you know what? But people, I love when they come to us with the trivia. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, tell us, uh, you know, in episode 63, you know, this thing, why did uh, the Enterprise uh, not able to go to warp because of that? I'm like, we don't know anything about that. We're, we're experts on, 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 on the, how we're, the show is made. We're experts on the show. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> we're not exactly. the goddamn engineer. Yeah. And speaking of the show, I mean, even though this will, won't air for a couple of weeks after, um, our deepest condolences to the family of um, Robert Butler, yep. a true legend who passed away. Um, of course, Robert Butler directed the Star Trek pile at the cage, but the Batman pile, Moonlighting, Remington Steel. Uh, he was on the podcast uh, a year or two ago. Extraordinary guest yeah, and an extraordinary man. And uh, I have to tell you guys, this was crazy. I was, I was doing a little work on the, um, a little prep on our, our documentary that we're doing about our travels um, to the locations of Star Trek. Yeah. And I, I said, you know, I really want to get us in a room again with Robert B Butler for, to talk about what it was like shooting the cage, especially with the 60th anniversary coming up right. and doing a new interview. And I'm like, you know, figuring out how we want to do that. And if maybe we'd bring him to where the sets used to be to those sound stages and everything. And, um, I literally finished doing my notes on that and I open up my, uh, browser. I says, Robert Butler has passed away. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is not the kind of effective dreaming I want to, uh, to I mean, I felt like, uh, you know, George Orr in a horrible way. It's like when he say, oh, bring about world peace and the aliens invade. Yeah. And right. Terrible. Be careful terrible. what you wish for. You may get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And speaking of that, now here's another person who passed away. I don't know if you heard this. Uh, and I didn't even know he's still alive. Stephen Candell passed away today. Yeah, I thought he had uh, passed away years ago. So did I. I mean, we would have had him on the show effect. if I knew he was. Uh, it was totally right. an Abe Vigoda uh, thing. Right. So I thought Stephen Candell had died years ago, but apparently he was living happily in Boston, and uh, he just passed away. Stephen Candell, of course, wrote Mud's Women and was yeah. involved in the writing of I, Mud, and I believe also Mud's Passion, if I'm not mistaken. And... Uh, uh, you know, uh, worked in television for many years, obviously beyond Star Trek as well, created his own shows. But um, uh, really sad because um, we're really in the end game for the original series. Yeah. There's so few uh, people left who worked on the original series. 
and it's sad because uh, absolutely uh, these you know that's why it's important to have a show like Trexpress is preserving the legacy. I feel we're like the preservers. Yeah, we're like oh, pre yeah. preserve pre preservers. Yeah, yes, yeah, <laughs> very very, very much like that. So. Today, this is interesting. I had maybe it's not really that interesting, but the <laughs> the, but the plumber we'll was in the house today, and he, you know the plumber knows I'm a I'm a Star Trek fan. He goes, you know, I don't know if I ever told you this, but um, I was at one of those Star Trek actors' houses. Uh, a really uh, really nice lady, and I said, the oh, toilet uh, was clogged. Was it Gates? I don't know what. No, it was a sink problem. And I said, uh, I said, oh, you know, Gates McFan. No, it was a Marina. No. Turns out it was Nana Visitor after we oh. played. City. And he said, and I said, and, and, and I said, oh, we love Nana. You know her? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we, we love Nana. She's, she's great. She was in Deep Space Nine. And he goes, is that a good show? It's like, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a really good show. Yeah, and she was good. really good in it. You might want to, you might want to check it out. He goes, yeah, because I don't like those new Star Treks. I said, I wow. said, but it was all unsolicited. <laughs> it's you know, it's thirty years old, and uh, and and more than that. And uh, he said, "Oh yeah, I got to check that out because uh, she seemed really nice." I said, "Well, was this recent?" He goes, "No, probably about ten years ago." I was oh like, "What?" <laughs> but he, but he remembers he, it. You see, Tony has a much longer range of memory than most people do. But it was funny because he uh, he said to me, he said. Yeah, she, you know, she had a, a bad leak. She said, oh, I'm not sure you can be able to find it. And he said, took me, I looked and I immediately said, oh, here's where the leak is. She said, how do you, how do you know? He goes, because I'm a plumber. <laughs> how do I know? He said, I don't tell you how to act. Don't, she's like, I don't think you're going to be able to find the, the leak. It's very hard. He just found it in three seconds. Is that so, actually uh, how he sounded? Was uh, that a representation of his voice? Not at all. Not at oh, all. Okay. Not at all. Not at all. Because that's I'll exactly tell you. how I imagined his voice would be. <laughs> no, but the funny thing about him is he's also a poet. So whenever he comes over... But does he know it? Oh, he knows it. Because he always wants to read his plumbing poetry to me whenever oh, he comes God. to the house. Is it shit? And no, it's, I mean, it's good, but it's kind of like, you know, let's get on with it. You know, I got, I got things I got to do. The pipe but, uh, not he, taken. <laughs> Anyway, so enough about my <laughs> enough about my about the plumber. He was actually here to put in a new water filter um, because my wife is concerned about the um, uh, 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 all the stuff, the chemicals and forever chemicals and stuff sure. in water. So he put in a new uh, filter for our, our refrigerator water filter. So hopefully well, you have to have uh, clean water to put your little packets in. <laughs> that's right, my my right. right. Um By the way, you never know of, when you might need to put out the I ten. Speaking yeah, of right. voices, we have a, a terrific uh, we have a terrific guest today. It's um, Susan Sackett. Susan Sackett, for 17 years, she was the assistant to Gene Roddenberry. She started with him right after the Quester tapes and uh, wrote a very famous Starlog column about the making of the Star Trek movies, uh, the book Letters to Star Trek. Uh, um, and uh, But one imitation or one voice that you do not hear on the podcast today, right. mo most surprisingly, is Gene Roddenberry. Gene why didn't you show up? 
Well, you know, I, I, I think that the, the reason why I, I didn't uh, make an appearance during the interview is uh, I, I think that uh, uh, let her have her own voice for a change. She was always uh, she was always uh, uh, speaking for me and with me. And uh, I think it it would have been a little too much to sort of bring that up again. And uh, I told Darren absolutely uh, no doing of uh, the Gene Roddenberry voice during the interview. But uh, uh, as you see, I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not shy and I will make an appearance when I, I wish to. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's the that's my simple reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, uh, I, I, you know, uh, it was great having Susan on the show. She wrote a really interesting book. I haven't read it in a couple of years. It was called Inside Trek, My Secret Life with Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry. And what's interesting about the book is she goes into a great deal of detail about it, both her professional and personal relationship with Gene. It's no secret that she had a, um, a, a romantic involvement affair with, uh, with Gene. Um, and there's some great stuff I hadn't heard before in that book. Uh, but then there's also a lot of details about their affair. And it, I, I got to say, it was pretty ballsy of her to, to include some of the details yeah. uh, uh, that she that she did. And I'm not sure. We didn't really discuss. It may be the first time I sort of shied away from it. So, you know, normally I, I go where the angels fear to tread. I don't care. I'll ask anybody anything. Yeah. I didn't get into... Some we of made a conscious effort not to, to get avoid that. about talking about some of that because, I mean, obviously, you know, it's a private thing, but she made it public by including in her memoir um, some of the the gory details. But uh, but I, you know, I I I I admire the audacity of it, and you know, yeah, and if you're someone, interested, buy her book. That's right. Absolutely, it's very. That's it's, what it's it, for. And and I have to say, I think the book is quite good. Um, you know, a lot of people. What's interesting is we know a lot of people have written Star Trek who are peripherally involved, who don't necessarily really have great insights. She was there for a long time and has some, I think, great stories about the early days of Next Generation and um, wrote it, uh, uh, you know, back when I think this was a lot more fresh in her mind. Right. And I think, it's, I think it's a good book. I got to tell you, I was reading Letters to Star Trek, which I haven't really cracked open probably in 40, 50 years. Right. Um, and uh, I found a, a passage I found was particularly apt. Um, this is Gene Roddenberry explaining the appeal of Star Trek. I Really, Darren should be reading this, but I think <laughs> Star Trek was a first in television, having a mixed international crew of various colors and ideas and cultures and philosophies. It just seemed to me most implicitly, implicitly obvious that if mankind makes it into the next century, all of those things that divide us, color, race, religion, culture, and so on, can no longer divide us. Petty nationalism has got to go. We will not make it unless we have begun to cherish the differences between people instead of being afraid of them. I think variety gives life a lovely quality. Irishmen and Jews and blacks and Asians all bring a fascinating kaleidoscope of wonderful things. It just seemed obvious to me that that's what we at Star Trek had to do. Now, this isn't anything he hasn't said before, but I think it's particularly apt uh, during these troubled days to remind people of what was at the heart of the DNA of Star Trek. Absolutely. And we're still not there. We're not, not even close. close. Yeah. If anything, no. we've, we've taken some steps back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A lot of steps back. Yeah. yeah. Sadly. Well, yeah, it's true. Well, what do they say? One step forward, two steps back. And we've definitely taken two steps back from that Star Trek future. But uh, as the expression goes... Um, it's always darkest before the dawn, and we can only hope that uh, um, you know things will take a turn for the better in the coming yeah. coming coming months, years, mm -hmm. decade. 
Um, um, but this was this was a, this was an extraordinary book. It was such interesting books because all, uh, Star Trek books were selling so well, and you got to remember the James Blish stuff had you know had adapted all the stuff. Uh, the, the, the Alan Dean Foster log books adapted all, so there wasn't really a lot of new content. So anything they could come up with, I mean, it's literally a book of letters to Star Trek. Right, it's letters that people wrote telling Gene and company how much they love Star Trek. So um, it's like one of our letters episodes. It to- totally, and I'm amazed. <laughs> I'm amazed I actually bought this book, but uh, and yet I have it all these years later. I mean, nearly fifty years later. Um, from when I when it was published, I still have this book, you know, with all the places I've lived and moved and stuff. It's a good is, painting on the cover. It's a nice cover. It's a really nice cover, isn't it? It's and a good uh, cover from Thura. And and then <laughs> you know, she also wrote at that time Star Trek Speaks, yeah. uh, which was basically just uh, an amalgamation of quotes from the series. It was basically the equivalent of uh, what would be a a, we- a, we- a web page now. Um, but that was also a popular book. It's funny because I, you know, she doesn't remember this, but she, after the making of Star Trek, she was supposed to write the visual effects of Star Trek, the motion picture. Right. right? But because that was such a disaster, um, and because the, the, the the publishing line didn't do as well as they hoped, they canceled it. She, now she conflates that with her book. Uh, Star Trek, the first 25 years, it says, oh, no, no, I think you have it confused. No, actually, right. she was confused because it was two separate books, the, the special effects book. Well, let's talk was, about that after. Yeah, okay, we'll, t- we'll talk about that after. We'll talk about that after. But I, I think she tells some really interesting stories. Absolutely. And we're about to uh, share those with you. This is uh, Gene Roddenberry's assistant, um, uh, Susan Sackett, who was with him for so many years, and literally the person who many of us uh, the first things we hear about Star Trek, the motion picture, uh, or, or sh- what the future of Star Trek came through Susan. So she was a very important and well-known person to a lot of us who grew up in the 70s, yep. who were anxious for news about what was going on with Star Trek. So without any further ado, let's bring in Susan Sackett to talk Trek archaeology. The Trexperts are back on the road again as we're our back. glorious... We're, we're back, sorry. baby. We're back. The Inglorious <laughs> Live Tour continues back. in 2024. And we're visiting some great cities near you. So don't miss a chance to get exclusive Trexperts merchandise, autograph posters, and see us moderate conversations with the biggest stars in the Trek universe coming to a galaxy or at least a city near you this year, including Richmond, Virginia, Anaheim, California for WonderCon, Oklahoma City, May 24th through 26th, San Diego, California, for Comic-Con with Mark and Ashley, July 24th to 28th. But if Mark and Ashley aren't your cup of tea, well, where are they going to find you, Darren? Well, I'm going to be in Raleigh, North Carolina, July 25th through 28th. Me only. Wow. It's the Trexpert tour. You get Darren all to yourself. Yeah, right. And then we'll all be reuniting, and it feels so good, in San Jose, California, August 18th. Do you know the way? The I do I know, know the way, way to San Jose. And maybe we'll go up north to look for the nuclear vessels while we're there. Well, and we're bringing it on all home in Columbus, Ohio, December 6th to the 8th. So if you want to know what guests will be joining us and how to get tickets, go to galaxycon.com, comic-con.org, or trexpressplus.com. You'll be glad you did. We'll see you around the galaxy. Join us. Next year. 
Saturday, can T.J. Hooker stop a corrupt politician from terrorizing teenage runaways? Then, a special Valentine cruise has everyone falling in and out of love on the love boat. And a dream to be queen... Caesar! ...turns to off with her head on Fantasy Island. You shall all die. Trapped on a strange landmass, they come from different times, but they're all in danger now. Use whatever means necessary. An unearthly swamp and an android colony with a human leader await on the fantastic journey. Roddy McDowell joins the fantastic journey Thursday at 8, 7 Central and Mountain. Next time, on an all-new episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, passion has its price. Are you my father? Why did you not tell me? A dark past threatens a new generation. He would be an outcast. Another traitor from a family of traitors. And when Klingon pride is wounded... As my son, he would also bear my disgrace. Worf must avenge his family honor in an all-new episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Saturday at 7 on WTIC Fox 61. Well, welcome, Susan. You have had quite the illustrious history for many years with... Um, the Star Trek franchise, among other things. Um, one of the ways that's interesting, I think no two people have been better about celebrating the sort of legacy, Gene's legacy specifically, than you and Rod at Rod Roddenberry. And I think it's so important because as new generations discover Star Trek, they're not as familiar with not only the ethos, but um, you know how important Gene was. What, what an amazing achievement uh, what, what creative ferment existed during those heady days? You know, when you joined with him in 1974, uh, you know, it, it, it was the beginning of this new era of Star Trek, which wouldn't exist today had it not been for those next 20 years. Um, can you tell us a little bit about sort of your feelings about the importance of Gene and what he leaves behind to this next generation, so to speak? Sure. Um, and thanks for that nice welcome. Um, you know, so many people, now that Gene's no longer here, have attempted, not too recently, but, but now and then, to claim credit for, I was the one that created Star Trek. Well, I was the one that took it to Desilu, or I was the one that did this. Right. And, you know, if it hadn't been for Gene, there would be no Star Trek. Gene was the one that persevered and continued to pursue this. Um, he was the one that that set the ground rules for how it, it should go. And, you know, people um, failed to understand that it was his his dream and the fact that he he put his stamp on it and said, this is the way it's going to be. And, you know, then others have come along and tried to to claim that it's their legacy. And, and it really bothers me because if it wasn't for Gene, I mean, Gene Roddenberry and Star Trek are synonymous. You can't claim that it was created by this person or that person or this director of the film or whatever. Um, and so maintaining his legacy has been vital and, and Rod is doing that. And whenever I can, I, I will always speak positively about him because that was the person that I knew. And well, they say success has many fathers failure as an orphan you don't see her you didn't see herb solo taking credit for pretty mates all in a row did you no, but star no. trek on the other hand yeah yeah <laughs> herb would like to think he was the one that saved it and and that's just really not true um and neither is it you know the the 
the child of, of, and I don't want to name a lot of names, but uh, recent producers, um, people that did the spinoffs that came after Star Trek, um, film directors, film producers, they all claim that, that they were the ones that saved Star Trek. Well, guess what? Nobody is going to be remembered for Star Trek except Gene Roddenberry. And yeah. that's just the way it goes, you know. Keep trying, people, but you're not going to you're not going to do it. That's that's fair, and especially since um, you know when when it was down, it there was a comeback, you know, uh, several times, and it's uh, it's really fascinating to sort of trace the uh, the history of it from the '60s uh, up till even now. That uh, you know it was uh, it was something that uh, lightning was caught in bottles several times, which was uh, is fascinating. Yeah, and and that was one of the things that they thought about when Next Generation came along. You know, could we catch lightning in a bottle twice? Yeah. Well, not to put down any of the spin-offs, movies, whatever, there have been several really good incarnations um, and reincarnations, if you want, yeah. that have taken place. Um, I'm especially pleased to see uh, Strange New Worlds, which I think captures the essence of the original series and next generation of course which i worked on and a few of the movies but you know some of them i i would uh not say were, were lightning or even thunder so. <laughs> light light mist um yeah. <laughs> barely precipitation so um Tell, tell us about going to work with, uh, for Gene in 74. Were you someone who was familiar with Star Trek? You had already had a, a quite a career. You worked in marketing. You'd been a teacher. You, you'd done a, done a lot. Was Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry on your radar when you got this job working for the quote-unquote Great Bird? Uh, not necessarily on my radar, but um, it was something that, you know, one can only dream about. I had been working at NBC um, with the commercial division there and, and, uh, the unit managers and whatnot. Um, and then I had a, uh, another job, um, somewhere else. And then I was in an auto accident and I had a really bad whiplash and I didn't have a job. Uh, I was collecting unemployment for like eight months. And my very good friend, Fred Bronson, who has always come through for me and we, we worked together later as writing partners and whatnot heard that there was an opening at Lincoln Enterprises working in the catalog branch that Majel was running and suggested that I apply for it. And I did. And she said, well, you're too, not talented, but, you know, overqualified. One of those mm, lovely words right. that you hear all the time. To run my mail order company. Right. No, not yeah. to run it, just to, you know, be an employee, ship out right. this clip and that, whatever. And so she said, but my husband needs somebody because his secretary from Warner Brothers, he had been, uh, Gene had been doing um, something at Warner Brothers. I forget which one of those. Was that Black Quester? Planet Earth was it oh, okay. Quester? No, I don't think it was Quester. I think that was Universal. Oh, Planet Earth, maybe. Maybe. But anyway, his secretary didn't want to, Gene was working out of his house because he had no projects. So uh, everything was completed. Like, See, Ralph, he was ahead of his time, Susan. Now everyone <laughs> works out of their houses. But <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so um, uh, Ralph wanted to go back to Warner Brothers. He had a pension, blah, blah. And I thought he was nuts because he could work for Gene Roddenberry. Okay, so um, I he Gene needed somebody and I happened to be there and it was his birthday. I went in and interviewed with him and um, 
he took my resume, he stuck it in the desk drawer and uh, never read it. <laughs> we just chatted and he said, you're hired. Can you start like tomorrow? And I said, sure. And I did. And that was it. It was August 19th, 1974. Wow. And it's his birthday. And that was some house. You never, you never need to see each other when, if you were working there. It was so big, that Bel Air house. No, this wasn't Bel Air though. This was in um, Truesdale Estates in, in oh, okay. on the borderline with Beverly Hills. And it was, it wasn't that huge. I mean, it, it had a, um, a rising atrium. And when you entered the, it was probably 20 feet high, but the rooms were all around it. And uh, his office and my office were, were not together, but they were, you know, like a few steps away from each other. And, um, you know, it was it was uh, it was nice. I liked working up there. It was um, quiet, maybe a little too quiet. I had hoped to be working at a studio. Right. And you know, eventually we did move on to the Paramount lot in uh, nineteen seventy five, and we were going to do a a movie or a TV series or something. It took four years, but it, we got there yeah. <laughs> eventually. So. It's so funny that that felt like an eternity back then, but now when you think about it, four years, it's uh, you know. It's 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 barely a drop in the bucket for many franchises these days. Now, were you a, a fan? You mentioned it was exciting oh. to go work for Gene. You, you were a fan of the show at the time. You know, he asked me that question when I was interviewing, and I said, "Yeah, I've seen it." I was a raving fan. I was <laughs> I was such a big fan that when I arrived in Los Angeles, I had been working in Miami as a teacher, and I came out to L.A. and uh, taught school for a year and. My dream was to work in show business since I was eight years old. And so when I got there, um, I started applying. I, I quit teaching. I applied to, um, you know, NBC or whatever, ended up getting a job there. But my dream was to at least visit the Star Trek sets. Well, the day that I arrived, I think, was when it was canceled. <laughs> and I, I never got to go there. But um, yes, sure, I was a fan. I was. Um, I, I wrote letters. I, you know, did everything I could to try to keep it on the air uh, when they canceled it. So even from Miami, I, I said it's the five-year mission. This has only been three years. <laughs> we're owed two years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and you were there for the tail end of the animated series. Um, obviously, Fred did an episode of that under a pseudonym. Um, right. Was was that something? Did that? Is, is, satiate your desire for more Star Trek at the time, do you recall, or was well, the, it? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, but, or was it something that it just, it felt not substantial enough for you? No, it was, it was fine. It was just, it was canceled. Um, yeah. Just about after I had, I think it was canceled even before I went to work for Gene. It was, yeah. um, you know, off the air. So, or it was in the final stages, whatever. So no, it was, it was a good series. I enjoyed it. Um, and I, I would never, I, I think most people discount it because it was so short lived. Right. And, but it was, it was good Star Trek. Um, DC Fontana was in charge and, and she kept it on track. Uh, and the stories were good. The, um, the canon, I think, was pretty much upheld. Um, I haven't seen these in a long time. I yeah, have sure. some cassettes. I'm going to look at one of these days, but, um, so no, there was there was nothing new in the Star Trek world at that time, except for all the people that wanted to see it come back, and, and it went into syndication, and it was doing really well in syndication. And so, Paramount decided, hey, wait, we've got this project or this uh, property, and we need to put it 
in, together in some form and they were going to start a new network, right. uh, which was going to be the fourth. There were only three networks at the time, NBC, ABC, and CBS. And uh, Paramount said, oh, we're going to start the fourth network. It's going to be the Paramount network. We need a flagship flagship program. And that was going to be a return of Star Trek. And, you know, it kicked around. I talk about this a lot in um, one of my books. And I talk, I, I wrote for Starlog magazine for four years. And I kept, you know, like a trained seal, kept that ball in the air forever. It's coming back. Oh, it's going to be here. It's going to be a wonderful movie. Oh, it's going to be a new TV series. And uh, eventually it happened. But four years back then was a long time. Now, you know, four years ago was just pre-pandemic. It was... Uh, Seems like those four years have flown by. People forget without you know, long before the internet, what that was like. You were like the sole source of information for people reading that Starlog column. Where and and, and every month, I mean, I can't imagine with the, the the lead time, things would change so quickly. By the time your column would come out, it's a movie, it's a TV show, it's a yeah. movie. It's and yeah. and and you had to give information without really giving any information. And I, I wonder what that was like for you, because of course you couldn't really say anything, but at right. the same time, it, 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 it felt like substantial, even though it wasn't. Well, as I say, it was, it was like uh, keeping the ball in the air. I would talk about, Oh, they just completed building the sets. Well, the sets could have gone for a TV or movie or whatever. Um, we did finally get a bigger budget, but Oh, we've hired so-and-so to be the writers. And, and, um, now we've got a, a new producer. You know, I think yeah. the lead time was was maybe four weeks, if if that much. And so it was enough to not be too out of date by the time it it, it the presses. But you know, things things that you could write about that were going to be the same, like um, you know, the sets are beautiful, and and uh, yeah, we're uh, so excited about our director Bob Collins. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. There were so many <laughs> possible directors. Yeah. yeah. And writers and, um, uh, you know, and then it's going to be a TV series and we're, we're getting scripts in and, you know, those ended up in the, in the vault and, and came in handy during the writers, the last writer's strike, which was, I don't know, 30 something years ago. Yeah, right. During the next gen where they reuse some of the scripts from phase two. Um, what were your feelings because you dealt with him a little bit, and he, he, you know, he started as a fan of Jeans, and then became sort of a nemesis, so to speak. Was uh, Harold Livingston? Oh, the, the, what a curmudgeon! I mean, a, a, a real character. I liked him. Um, I, you know, I. There are a lot of egos in Hollywood. Everybody no. thinks that they are the most important part of whatever the project is. I'm the one that's making it happen. Everybody kowtow to me. Well. Harold did a lot of writing and um, Gene, you know, would would often give the benefit of the doubt to somebody. But if they acted, you know, imperious about it, uh, that that could become a problem. But all in all, I liked I liked Harold a lot. Um, he had worked in um, other things, but he, he had worked in the Israeli Air Force right. at one time. And, uh, you know, so we had a lot of things to talk about. He had he didn't have a book out at the time, and I didn't. He was jealous of me because I had written a book. He always wanted to have a book in print. Here's this man who had written all this wonderful stuff, and uh, he wanted a book. <laughs> so we had a lot to talk about, and I enjoyed him. Right. Um, well, though th that was a uh, it, that was a tumultuous time 
uh, certainly as we look back at it now. Um, what was it, what was it like the day to day of uh, of dealing with uh, you know them uh, shooting on the uh, uh, on the stage and uh, the machinations in the background with the the script rewrites and uh, constant uh, updating? Uh, what was I mean that that couldn't have been a peaceful uh, environment. Um, you know, I was I was not a writer. I was Gene's assistant, so. Yeah. Um, I, I was not in the in the throes of of all of this um, stuff going on. So I mean, there were there were pages coming in daily, and uh, the writers, uh, the actors, were not thrilled because they had to yeah. rememorize new dialogue that they hadn't uh, seen before. And they came in in different colors every day. You know, you yeah. start out with all white script. And, um, you know, then you go to blue pages. Okay, so we have some blue pages. Then you go to pink pages. Then you go to yellow pages and, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, they were, they were being handed pages as they were about to go on camera. Right. So it was a bit chaotic, especially for the writers. The staff, I think, just kind of was not too happy about it. And there was some conflict. But, you know, we're talking about something that was 50 years ago almost. Right. And, uh, that's crazy. It's it's you know it's hard to recall all the all the Hazari that went on. Oh, I'm sure. I, well, I, you, I just you, feel you, sorry for the Xerox technician that had to keep up with the uh, machine. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know where they did these things. No, they weren't mimeographs. No, you you didn't just walk the walk, but you 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 know Dean Gene didn't just walk the walk. He talked the talk in terms of being someone who was open to new technology. You were one of the first people mm -hmm. to work on um, a personal computer, if I'm not mistaken. Right. We got something that was um, it was a step up from the old Commodore 64. I think it was it was called a Lexor Writer. And it was a combination of typewriter and computer. And you had to put in the memory. It had no memory of its own. So you had a disk and you had to insert that. And Gene was just thrilled because he, he loved being on the cutting edge of any kind of technology. Sure. Um, me, not so much. <laughs> and, uh, the first day that we got these, um, I ended up with a stomach ache and had to go home. It was just too intense for me. But um, uh, it was, it was, uh, yeah, Gene got that. And then he, later, I'm not sure which person from Apple, but um, some, one of the um, head honchos sent him, uh, what were the early app? This was all contained in a right. box. But I'm not least, Yeah, the first, uh, the first Macintosh was all contained. Yeah, it might have been a Mac, but it was, um, you know, Gene was so excited. And then eventually, yeah. You know, he he would get bigger and better, and and uh, this one has twenty megabytes of memory or whatever. <laughs> it's just filled with all of that. Well, I, because, one of our one of our friends was a writer uh, at Paramount, and at the time, and uh, he says that one day he saw uh, Gene uh, basically hanging out his window, uh, shouting at people about this wonderful uh, uh, word processor that he had, and he was showing it off, and and uh, it's just a, such a, a a lovely story of his enthusiasm uh, over things like that. I don't doubt it. Um, he just he was thrilled with all of the new technology. He just loved it, and and you know if he if he could have, he probably would have waved it out the window and said, "Look what I have." Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know that, that sounds. Exactly like him. Anybody who came in the office, let me show you my new toy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he always kept up with the latest technology if he could. Yeah. Long before the age of sort of the um, uh, 
celebrity showrunner like Vince Gilligan and so many of these people mm. now. You people back then, people didn't know who wrote their television. Maybe they knew like a Jack Webb because he was on camera. But Gene was somebody that people knew. They would go see him speak. They knew his name. Mm. Um, so he had this entourage of really eclectic, interesting people that were in your orbit. And I just love the fact that, like, somebody like Paul McCartney would be somebody that you would meet. Can you tell us what that that was all about? Paul, yeah, Paul, Sir Paul. He wasn't Sir then. Um, Paul contacted Gene. Uh, he was a fan. And uh, he was with Wings at that time. It was past the Beatles. Um, and he wanted to do a, a film, and he thought Gene could help. Uh, he sent, Paul sent Gene sort of an outline and it had I wish I don't know I hope Rod found it somewhere but um it was going to be about this band in space is about all I remember of it and um they I don't I don't, I don't really remember it but when Paul came to town uh town being Los Angeles he uh invited Gene to a performance of Wings and um his band and, and Linda was there and it was just fantastic. And we all went backstage and uh, I got to speak with him and meet him. And it was, you know, just, just, uh, you know, sitting around having some Coke and Pepsi or whatever, and uh, just enjoying life with Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney. And one time uh, Gene was doing something called Spectre in England yeah. in between projects and I was privileged to be able to fly over and, and work on that a little bit. And um, I answered the phone one time and it was Paul. He goes, hi, this is Paul McCartney. Is Gene there? And I, oh yeah, hold on, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like an idiot. But I mean, that, that I think, you know, the project w would have been weird, but um, he, he uh, you know, he turned out to be a fan. They're everywhere. I mean, Isaac Asimov, of course, Gene was in touch with, and um, uh, gosh, uh, Arthur C. Clarke, and just all, you know, people that you, if you're into this sort of thing, that there's these were just uh, pals and friends. And he had uh, a lot of uh, high tech uh, people working on on various things from from Cal State and or Caltech rather and um the Rand Corporation and he got experts to work on on Star Trek and he would get their opinions and and even Isaac Asimov he he ran things by him so right. you know these these were like everyday names to me I I at first you know I was like wow and then it's like okay Isaac Asimov's <laughs> on um, you know mm -hmm. got line 1 well, the first time I ever heard of Yesko von Putkammer oh, yeah. was in this little chestnut <laughs> that you wrote, Letters to Star Trek, which yeah. was a book that came out in 1976, which to, amuses right. me to no end because I thought this was the greatest thing in the world at the time. And, you know, it's basically a compilation in 1977, your your first book of what would become many. Um, it's a compilation of letters you received at the office. What was the, the impetus for... Uh, this, I mean, the idea and oh. then sell, selling it to Bantam. Yeah, Valentine, uh, mm -hmm. um, which was, I think, owned by Random House, but I'm not sure at that time. Anyway, um, we had sacks and sacks of mail that were being delivered, fan mail. Right. And they ended up, they would go to Lincoln Enterprises and they would end up, this was when we were working out of the house. And they were being tossed, just 
you know, if there was something in there, somebody sent a check because they wanted to buy something from Lincoln, fine. If not, toss the letter. And I started looking at some of these and I went, these are amazing. And they were not at first from famous people. They were just from the fans um, asking, you know, this and that. And, and, and they were so interesting that it occurred to me that they could be put together into some kind of a book. And so I contacted Valentine and, and uh, Jean back with support to put these together into a book. Well, and there were some things that we wanted to, I think it was the editor that said, we need a little bit more to sell this. So let's uh, see, you know, what other mail you have that you can add to this. So we had stuff that came into the office from, uh, it's been a while since I looked at the book, but I think there's things in there from from famous people, including mm -hmm. you mentioned Yesko von Putkammer. And I, there might be something in there from Isaac Asimov. I'm not positive, but, uh, and, you know, things like that. So we had a lot of fun putting this together and we got some pictures and, and, uh, it's still, I still, every now and then I get a copy, uh, that I pick up somewhere because I, I it's been out of print, you know, for ages. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. Well, close to a hundred thousand copies originally. That's huge. And, yeah, it is huge. And it was very exciting. And, um, there was never another edition of it. So um, if you have one, hang on to it. <laughs> but, um, oh, absolutely. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, so, it's so fun that because of, uh, of that book and your columns later on, uh, that you created a, a direct connection with, uh, with the fans, you know, so that the fans could see a little of, of the behind the scenes goings on. And to see the the sort of human beings uh, behind the whole thing, and that was uh, that was something that was extremely rare, but it was really nice. Yeah, I stayed in touch with a lot of the fans, and um, they had clubs in Australia and England um, and around the country. Um, there are some people that that I'm still in touch with. Um, a, a lady named Janet Corton, who lives in Scotland. And I've actually visited these people and, and they were generous enough to invite me to stay in their homes. Mm -hmm. um, I visited Australia and, and uh, met some people there. And um, so, it, you know, it, it was, it, and Eric Stilwell, I don't know if everybody sure. knows his name, but um, he was a, a teenager at the time I went to, uh, he was living somewhere in Oregon and, and I was promoting a book about game shows, I think, that I had written. And Eric had been a president of a, a big fan club. Even as a teen, he was involved with Star Trek. And so he came out to greet me at the hotel in Portland and they wouldn't let him sit with us in the bar because he was underage. Right. So that was my first meeting with, with Eric. Eric for, now, of course, is well known. For those of you who, who don't know, Eric was a co-writer on uh, Yesterday's Enterprise and then worked on uh, Next Generation as a, uh, a, a as a member of the staff. Yeah. Yeah, he started as Michael Pillar's assistant, I believe. Yeah, yeah. and he, yeah. he worked with him after Star Trek, too, for a while. Um, and Eric is now retired to the south of France. Yeah. Eric and his wife. Um. Yeah, so there were a lot of um, fan clubs and and uh, whatnot where I got to to meet people through that. Um, I'm trying to think of others. There are still there's such a big group of fans out there still. Um, I have it's a, a new community, isn't it? Star yeah, Trek and I, I, I get in touch with a lot of. Them. I have a Facebook page and and 
there are so many Facebook groups of fans um, and I'm always promoting something. I have a um, shameless promotion here. <laughs> I have an eBay store mm -hmm. um, called Inside Trek and you can buy some of the things that um, I've collected over the years and we're getting down to not as many, but uh, things like scripts, the scripts I think have all been sold. There's some books, there are um, flyers. This week I've got, um, I do auctions and I've got a flyer, a bunch of flyers from FilmCon 1, if anybody remembers that, from 1972. Wow. There are, you know, all the guests, Gene was a guest of honor there and I was a celebrity coordinator. I wasn't working for him at that time, so this was very exciting for me. I got to meet meet him and take him with the blooper reel into the uh, the auditorium and introduce him. And it was, it was just really, really fun. So, um, yeah, there, there are still lots and lots of fans, but if you want to get a copy of that, you can, uh, the book, you can go to Amazon, um, uh, Kindle or, uh, my store. Yeah. And the, the book you're referring to, of course, is your most recent book, which is Inside Trek, My Secret Life with creator Gene Roddenberry, which is a history of, the the long 17 years that you spent with Gene, right. uh, both as your boss and as a romantic partner. Um, and there's some great Trek stories, but also some really interesting inside Hollywood, uh, uh, you know, story insights as well. And you updated it, didn't you? The second edition you updated, including more information. There's an update in the, excuse me, in the Kindle edition online. Uh, there's only been one printing of the book. And um, yeah, you can you can read all the gruesome details. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I, you know, I think it's great that you you know. Um, I mean, it's really candid, and I think so many of uh, so many of the books are you know some of the people involved with Star Trek have told of the years are apocryphal, or it's a, a copy of a copy of a story they heard that they repeated at conventions, which has no bearing on the truth. It's really Rashomon. What I like about your stuff is you're there. You know, as a writer, you've chronicled stuff. Going back to your making a Star Trek the motion picture book. Now, obviously, there's certain things you couldn't say at the time, and you read it now, and you know, but but it's a really interesting book. I think both you and Walter were, you know, are two of the most important contemporaneous accounts of the making of that film. You're talking about the making of Star Trek the motion picture. Star Trek the motion oh, picture, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I had to uh, adhere to certain um, preordained uh, ways of writing because Paramount licensed this. Right. Um, and so, for example, and, and this is recent, you may have seen something about the enterprise model that, uh, that belonged to Gene. That's correct, yeah. From that famous photo Fred had taken. Disappears, disappeared. Um, I don't know which photo you're referring to, but... The one the on one the desk of Gene. Mike took that photo. Oh, oh Fred said go. he did. Uh-huh. <laughs> no. There we I go. Uh, <laughs> huh. Okay. Anyway, um, I don't know why Fred would have even been there, but anyhow, um, this was upstairs in Gene's office at the house, so... Um, anyhow, so... I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> but it was recently rediscovered, yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. So, um, and, and it does look authentic. That's what's Absolutely. so amazing. Yeah. But it disappeared during the filming of the movie. Right. And nobody knew what happened to it. Gene used to joke that it was sitting on somebody's coffee table. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so I couldn't talk 
honestly about what happened to it in in the you know we we think it was somebody from Robert Abel's company which no longer exists so I can mm-hmm. say that and that was the last place it had been because they were going to work with it or copy it or do something right. and Gene mm-hmm. asked for it back and they said well we don't have it oh where is it well we don't know you know so there was like that kind of thing and uh so you know i i talked a little about that in the book but i had to be very very careful plus robert abel never produced anything that we could use right and i started the chapter by saying the trouble with robert abel was that he wasn't (laughs) (laughs) no can't 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 say that okay well so i had to be very careful i couldn't i couldn't start the chapter that way but i would have loved to have said that yeah and i think you also you weren't able to include the potato story or were you i'm trying to remember it's been a while since i read the book the fit the, the where they delivered the one shot the first shot they delivered was the a potato on a stick because they didn't have the enterprise model ready i don't recall that at all I don't remember saying that. Maybe that's in someone else's book. It's it's hard to keep track, but you were so (laughs) prolific at the time because not only did you do, you also did Star Trek Speaks, which came out that year. Um, And then you were going to do, and I'm I'm curious how far along you got before they canceled the book, the visual effects of Star Trek, the motion picture, which I imagine would have been fascinating. Yeah, no, I was never um, supposed to do that. I was supposed to do the 25th anniversary of Star Trek, right? And, but it wasn't a visual effects. It was just a. It, it was all written. I had it. It was on the presses, ready to roll. We had a cover mm. design. We had, um, in fact, the first printing of the cover. There were three or four of those, and um, somebody realized that Leonard Nimoy had not signed off on the use of his image, which is in his contract. Right. He had not seen the photos. He didn't know what was going to be in the book. And uh, I kind of got his dander up over that and decided that he wouldn't sign. And so we couldn't print the book because you can't print a book about 25 years of Star Trek without a picture of Leonard Nimoy slash Mr. Spock. Yeah. So it got canceled and um, broke my heart. But they used a good chunk of it in, uh, I can't remember the name of the book, but it was was done a couple years later. yeah, where no man has gone before, something like that. I, I something like that. Yeah, it was a coffee table book. That, right. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. That's what ours was supposed to be, and, and you know, Gene would of course get top billing, but it was also it was mostly written by me. Right. Sure. And uh, so that never happened, and you know, there were a lot of things we were supposed to. Fred and I were going to write the novelization of the God thing. If right. anybody remembers that, that was a script that Gene. Uh, wrote as a potential movie. I think it was going to be the um, the second film after after uh, um, the first one. And uh, well, he had developed it in the early seventies, and I think you're conflating the God thing, which was going to be the original Star Trek movie that Barry Diller ki- killed, with the start his JFK story, which was the um, was going to be his follow up to the motion picture. So you were going to well, do the God thing, though, right? No, the God thing was also a potential script that he wrote. And uh, we were going to novelize that, novelization of that. Um, And that kind of didn't happen because uh, after Gene died, there was, uh, I don't know what happened, but they canceled that. So there were a lot of things that were, you know, a lot of irons in the fire that didn't happen and some that did. Well, you turned some of those, you turned your attention, which was writing 
teleplays because you did two episodes of um, Next Generation, um, Menage a Troy, and also uh, created the story for the game, which I know is one of Darren's favorite one of my episodes. Favorite, yes. Really? Oh, Absolutely. Okay. Well, Fred and I had a lot more. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you liked it. We we did the stories. Um, the script was done by, I think, Brandon, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Anyhow, um, yeah, so we, we, we were pitching stories. And, you know, if you work for Gene Roddenberry, the stakes become, uh, may not be the stakes, but, but the fact that, you know, you're on the inside, you have to try even harder. Sure. To get approval because, you know, you want to, you don't want to look like favoritism. So, but we were were thrilled to be able to get those done. We had some other things that we proposed that did not get done by us, but did get done. We had a holodeck story that didn't get uh, done. We proposed a a Western that um, they didn't buy. And then they did a Western. We'll never do a Western. And then they did a Western. Right. Um, Things like that. So it could be, Hollywood is a tough town. Not and you right. can't really complain because unless it's, you know, ripped off word for word, uh, and then you go into an arbitration with the WGA, um, because, you know, it's you'll never eat lunch in this town again kind of thing. So yeah. you choose your um, your games. Choose your battles. Yeah. Choose your battles, right. Well, it must have been very interesting. What a transition because, it, you know, in the mid-70s, you go from, um, you know, working at Gene's house on, a, on these projects that may or may not happen. Then being involved in Star Trek, the motion picture, one of the biggest movies, you know, ever made, certainly at that time. Um, and, and everything that was it finally coming to fruition, which must have been amazing. And then to then go through uh, Star Trek coming back in the next generation era which obviously was extraordinary because people said it couldn't be done. And for the longest time, even Gene didn't think it could or should be done. And then he's successful in bringing it back to television, which is why Star Trek continues to flourish, you know, all these years later. You know, Next Generation was the the, the back on which this was all built. Yeah, um, he um, got a proposal from Paramount. There were some people that they brought in and they were busy writing a... um, a, a new series. This was before Next Gen, and uh, you know it was full of of gee whiz uh, cadets, and it was. He said, "This is just hokey. This is awful. I can do better than this." And they said, "Okay, you're on." And he took them up on the challenge and created Next Generation, and he put together a good team to help. But in, in the bottom line is, he gets uh, the credit for for. Being the overseer on all of this, uh, you know, and uh, David Gerald helped, uh, DC Fontana, Dorothy helped. Um, they all had input, but it rests on Gene's shoulders no matter what comes out of it. And so, you know, he rode roughshod over quite a few of the scripts that were coming in and the writers weren't happy. Uh, and uh, but he wanted it to be his Star Trek. So there were there was a lot going on that first uh, season, but he brought it back, and I think it worked out quite well. Uh, it was on for what seven years, so yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. How 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 difficult do you feel it was on? You know, obviously Star Trek was this incredible achievement. Gene had given so much to it. He'd given his health. He'd given all this yeah. stuff to Star Trek. Um, when the movies you pretty much got taken away and, you know, Harv was given the sort of keys to the kingdom and Gene was sort of sidelined. 
How hard was it for him to sort of deal with that? I mean, he was very gracious publicly, but obviously it was a very difficult time. It was very difficult for him. Um, you know, it was his baby. It was like, you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. He, he felt, though, although I think he finally was okay with it, but uh, he felt that, um, you know, I don't think he and Harv were on the same page all the time, um, literally and figuratively. And he would have, you know, preferred that he had more control. They kind of made him, you know, executive or whatever, which, right. yeah. which is uh, just kind of brushing it aside and saying, yeah, you can have this title. And I, I think it hurt him deeply. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know, did, did pay some bills. So I don't know. He, he was, well, they, they he promoted him, I'm sorry. They, they promoted him to a desk job, just like they did to Kirk. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> He's flying a spaceship from a desk. Um, he he would give notes. I mean, he, he gave notes to to um, uh, Harv and whoever else was writing the script at the time. But he had very little power, and uh, I think it hurt him very deeply. Um, he he did not show that in public, of course. And, yeah, we, uh, we by the way, huh? I was going to say by the way that. There's a there's a, a false narrative about the fact that when Spock is killed off, I think in in uh, Star Trek Two at the end, yep, um, that I gave that away at some convention that you know that I broke the news. Susan Sackett said that Spock is going to die. Well, that was not true, and Harv ran with that. I right. think it was his way of getting back at Gene. Gene was the one that actually said it, but Harv also, also said it. Yeah. So it was not me. I just want to set the record straight on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Okay. <laughs> well, well, Gene ultimately got his vindication on Next Gen. But it, it's interesting. We did an episode a while ago where we uh, did an episode on Gene's notes for Star Trek III, um, mm -hmm. which are phenomenally insightful. Mm -hmm. That Harv ignored pretty much everything. And we have Harv's notes, which were very kind of dismissive of what Gene was saying. And it would not mm -hmm. be wrong to say that movie would be a hundred times better had he adhered to many of Gene's notes, which were very perceptive and very smart. And I mean, obviously he knew his creation. Yeah. He knew Star Trek. Yeah, and I don't I don't remember the notes particularly, but I do recall the fact that. And Harv gave me credit for it. I came up with the way to bring Spock back mm. um, by, you know, being on the planet that regenerates people and right. it would have regenerated him. Um, and Harv gave me credit for that. I mean, that's, you know, a big part of that film. I didn't, all I did was say it verbally. I didn't write it. I didn't make notes. I didn't write right. a script or anything. But I said, hey, here's how you bring him back. So um, there was also... Leonard Nimoy um, called me into his office one day and he said, I'm really stuck on something. I need to find something for Spock to be doing that shows that he's thinking. I, I think, and I don't recall, and I haven't seen the film in years and years and years, but there's there's something in there where Spock is having all these tests and he has to prove that his mind is back. Right. And I said, well, I can't think of much except... I." he could try to solve this problem, prove the non-existence of God. <laughs> you can't prove negative. <laughs> and so um, he, he didn't 
think much of that, but that was funny. <laughs> I was flattered that Leonard even considered to ask me. I mean, that was that was very generous and kind of him. So um, later on, we didn't get along so well because of the fact that he turned down my book. But uh, that's an earlier part of this broadcast. So you um, you, you knew Gene better than virtually anyone. What do you think he would make of? Star Trek today of what's become of his creation. Um, would he be surprised? Would he be happy? Obviously, uh, uh, you know, he'd be yeah. happy to be getting uh, paid for all this, but uh, wh wh what would be creatively, what do you think Gene would think about everything that's transpired with his baby? He always said that after he's gone, others would come along and they would do Star Trek and he would, and he said they would probably do it better than I did. There's no litmus test for which is better or whether it is or isn't. Um, I think he would be astounded at all the various forms that it has taken and how long it's gone on and it still continues. And they still, to me, I think they're, they're going overboard with too many different versions. But uh, the fact that people watch this, I mean, you know, there's animated and there's uh, the lower decks and there's beyond in the movies and, and, and just so many things. Um, but I think cautiously, whoever is planning for more and more and more of this, I think they need to, to pull it back a little bit and walk it back. I think there, there's maybe a little bit too much. After a while, you know, it's like gravy. You keep thinning it out and thinning it out and there's not going to be anything left. Um, well, the the studio is acting like an addict. Uh, they're yes. <laughs> they're just trying to get more and more, uh, more blood out of right. the stone, you know. And uh, I don't blame them, but yeah, I, I think it's yeah. uh, it's it's incumbent of them to sort of you know parse it out a little more, mm -hmm. you know, rather than uh, this onslaught. Uh, I agree with you. Yeah. I got to ask you um, to to wrap up um, in these when you look back at these seventeen years you spent working with Gene, um, what, are, what are some of the highlights that come back? When you look back fondly on those days, like wh what are the things that, that make you smile, that make you, you know, that you really treasure when you look back at, at that time? Well, um, working together versus personal life together. Um, working together would be, he respecting me, his respect of me, um, as far as ability to do things, to, to do a little writing, to um, be creative, to take my advice. He was um, ready to have the opening of Next Generation to boldly go where no one, where no man has gone before. And I said, no, you have to say where no one. He goes, why? I said, because... <laughs> <laughs> because that's the way things are said these days. You know, he was he was fine with the original where no man and and that's from his generation. Sure. So I think that was that was a big highlight the fact that I I said um no you have to change that and so he changed it to where no one has gone before. And you know, that 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 was a highlight. Um I also was able to contribute the name of Jordy's visor because ah. nobody, nobody else knew what it stood for. And that was in the opening episode, uh, the first episode when we were going 
you know, he said, what are, what are we going to call this thing? And I said, visor, visual instrument and sensory organ replacement. I just, that just popped out of nowhere. So he, what, what I loved about working with him is the fact that he respected me and respected my opinion. And, and that's the highest compliment I've ever been paid in my life from somebody like, like, you know, like Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. And of the people that were in your orbit, um, you know, obviously the people you like, people you didn't, people you did like and then didn't like, uh, who, who are the people you look back fondly and say, you know, they, they were, spa obviously no one's ever said a bad word about D. Kelly. People love D, right? Absolutely, so, yeah. Who, who are some of the people you look back at? You're just glad that this adventure in Hollywood gave you the mm -hmm. opportunity to be, you know, have them in your life. I was uh, very fortunate. And um, I got along with everybody. And uh, the only problem I had was I tried to get Bill Shatner to interview for for the uh, making of uh, the motion picture book. Mm -hmm. And he would say to me, get away from me with that recorder. And it really upset me because I needed him to interview with me. Well, years later, I guess it was uh, 2012, he was putting together the uh, Chaos on the Bridge film, which um, is weird, but... Right. Uh, he wanted to interview me and we, we got to chatting and I, 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 you know, I, I hadn't had a really high opinion of him until then. And, um, we were, we were talking about, um, I don't know, but I said, you know, there's one thing that really bothered me. And then I told him about this and he goes, Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't remember. He was a changed person by then. Mm. And I think he has changed quite a bit. We had some great discussions, um, over the telephone when he, he, wanted me to appear in that uh, thing that he made, the chaos on the bridge thing. Mm -hmm. And um, he was, he, he, he flew me, he flew my partner. He flew us both to California. Um, we had lunch. We were, I was interviewed. Um, and uh, then he flew us home. He had a chauffeur pick us up all out of his own pocket right. because he wanted to make this uh, film. And uh, I had great respect for him after that. And I think he's mellowed with the years. So, Absolutely. And I, I think the other thing is that uh, back in, in those before days, he was responsible for being number one on the call sheet. He had so much pressure to yeah. keep the persona of Captain Kirk going and support the, the projects uh, mm -hmm. that uh, he, was, he was often, you know, out of his uh, mind and focused on his job. So... Oh, sure. Absolutely. No, I, I don't resent it. I, I don't hold it against him. I was just um, reminded of that when, when we were chatting. Uh, I said, you know, there was one thing that bothered me, but um, yeah, no, it was all on his shoulders. He was, he was uh, the lead and uh, he knew it. Yeah. Um, yeah speaking of memoirs, because we talked about your memoir, Patrick mm -hmm. Stewart just came out with one called Making It So. Um, do you have any thoughts about Patrick? Because obviously Patrick was yeah. an actor that Gene had, you know, didn't initially embrace the idea, uh, you know, because in a way the captain is a doppelganger for Gene and he didn't see him as a balding old man. Um, but what were your feelings about, obviously he, he went along with it and obviously that decision was validated, but do you, what were your feelings about Patrick, you know, sort of then and now or any thoughts about him? I got along very well with Patrick um, and I have a few Patrick stories that I could tell about. Uh, I don't know how much time we have, but anyway, um, there's, there's a lot of, um, 
Monday morning quarterbacking. I don't know what you would call it, saying that Gene didn't like Patrick. Well, you know, Gene's not here to defend himself. Gene and Patrick got along fine. I don't understand where this is coming from. From Patrick? That's the crazy thing. That's what's so weird. They got along fine. And after Gene accepted Patrick, he he would back him 100%. Yeah. Um, You know, Patrick had... Uh, he, he was discovered, so to speak, by Robert Justman, who saw him in a play at UCLA and said, wow, there's our captain. And Gene went, I don't want a bald captain. That doesn't make any sense. You know, he wanted the heroic, go get him, you know, Shatner type. And he thought Patrick fit the role very well. So I don't understand, you know, what went on behind the scenes. Maybe they fought over dialogue. I, I have no clue. Everything that I saw, they got along just fine. Right. Um, quick story. I don't know. Do we have time? Oh, go yeah, ahead. of course. Oh. Please. So Patrick and I were both guests at a con in uh, Alberta, Canada. And um, it was time to fly home. And we're both on the same plane sitting across the aisle. I, I mean, I didn't arrange that. It just happened that way. And to fly back to L.A. And there's a snowstorm outside. Well, I've never flown in anything but hot Southern California or Southern Arizona where I am weather and I'm looking outside and uh, you know, they're de-icing whatever they do to planes in that weather. And then I look across the aisle, I go, Oh, we'll, we'll be fine. Captain Picard is over there. You know, everything is well. And I said, Oh, it's good to see you there, Patrick. I was afraid, but now I see you. He goes, I'm terrified. <laughs> I said, no, you can't be. <laughs> so obviously everything worked out, but right. I expected encouragement and, and support from him and going, oh, we're going to be fine. You know, because I'm terrified. <laughs> no false bravado there. <laughs> Terrific. Well, Susan, thank you so much for this sort of walk down memory lane. And obviously yeah. if people want to find some of your out of print, as, as well as the book Inside Track, which they can get autographed along with a bunch of other stuff depending on the week. They should check out your eBay store. And what, where can they find that? Called Inside Track. That's the name of the store. And there's the book and there's a lot of other things for sale, as I mentioned. So, yeah, and I'm happy to autograph it too. I've uh, I've been a previous customer. I bought a couple pieces of uh, stationery. So I remember that. Yes, <laughs> I, I have some of Jean's letter paper for sale left over. Yeah. <laughs> See, it was who, who you were. You were smart to to keep all that because it's a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, well, I, a few sheets, whatever. But yeah, I, yeah. you know, I had other things that I mostly that I've sold that had autographs or whatever on them. Right. But if only you had the three foot model of the Enterprise. Well, there so. you go. Some, <laughs> yeah. some idiot was trying to sell it for a thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see how that goes. It's yeah. uh, an interesting story, and I'm not sure I believe the people involved at the at this point. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank, thank you, you so and, much. Great thank talking you. to you, Susan, and uh, they, I would appreciate you being on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Darren. Take care. Fun. It was fun. Thanks. Awesome. And we're back. It's Darren. That was nice. That was Ashley nice. Ashley and Mark. 
I thought so. I, I, I mean, I really, I love that Starlight column. You, you must remember that Starlight oh, column. Of course, of course. Every, every column. month. Yeah. Uh, that was the point that I had, you know, a monthly subscription. And, Me too. Uh, I ate it up. Yep. Remember, they, they would always like run an illustration or a picture of the sets under construction. And it was yeah. always like, oh my God. It was magical. You know, like, and, and for a while, it's like, it was like a ping pong ball. It was like, it's a TV series. It's a movie. It's a right. TV series. It's a, and, you, you know, like, is this thing ever going to happen? And then, you know, she would update on a monthly basis, like what was going on with the motion picture. And, you know, the one thing we didn't talk to her about, which I'm amazed that we didn't, um, was her cameo in Star Trek's right. motion picture. Yeah, she's right almost dead center in the uh, in the rec deck uh, scene. Uh, and, uh, you know. She was uh, among the 400 crew members, men and women and aliens. And, uh, and Trek fans. And Trek fans, absolutely. <laughs> that was an amazing thank you by Gene to the fans uh, when well, you think about that. To be fair, it okay, it's a little bit of a thank you, but it's also a good way to get free extras. <laughs> yeah, no, I look absolutely, but uh, I think giving, you know, David Gerald and Susan and so many of the people... Like, to me, I had a problem, like, giving John Povel's wife a speaking role, right? Well, um, she wasn't his wife at the time. Yeah, but she was the assistant to Harold Livingston, yeah. right? Like, I don't think you should be giving, um, like, peop, you know, roles for actors as a favor to people, right. you know? But, I, you know, the people that work for you as a reward. But, like, giving them extra work is fine, you know? And, and, uh, I think, you know, it's kind of like, I, you know, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but, um, when they name the ships after people who are, who, who worked on the show, right. like I'm so, such a stickler for canon that I hate when they name ships after, I mean, this is like deep dive geekiness. Um, oh, you mean you hated I, the shuttle adjustment? Yeah. Like I don't like. When they name it after people who worked on the show, I like. Uh, I want it to be completely in canon, right? Like, it, nah, I, I can who, understand that point of view. I don't. I don't mind it as much as you do. But uh, well, what I find weird about it is there are certain names that you just can't name check, right? So it's your kind of. It's kind of like naming an air, aircraft carrier, like you know, after after a president, right? After John F. Kennedy or Eisenhower. But like, what if you couldn't name Eisenhower or Kennedy? Because like it would take people out of it, so you have to name it after the Secretary of Education or some shit. Not that that right. existed like during Kennedy and Eisenhower, so you don't get the USS Roddenberry or the USS Coon. You know, I, I, mean? I served on the USS Bob T. Phillips. What? <laughs> Here comes the fry burger. <laughs> oh, it just it blew up all by itself. It's a garbage oh. cow. <laughs> oh. It's like congratulations to Captain Dunsell. That's right. I, I understand your point of view. Uh, luckily, it, it it didn't happen very often. No, it happens more now, where you know they name it after people. And I look, I understand. Like they named the ship after Aaron Eisenberg, which is really, yeah. you know, sweet because the honor the memory of someone that we all, you know, uh, had so much uh, re respect and admiration for. Um, but um, but I just like, I like, I mean, even like on the plaques where they put, you know, the names of the people that worked on the sets. It's like, I just, I'm such a stickler for canon, you know, that I just like it to be completely in universe. 
But well, you know, that's that's usually the only recognition that a lot of these people ever get. So yeah, know. I know. I just I just like <laughs> I, I speak I just, as someone who never was able to get on a plaque. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it was there's not even a plaque. It's not even a plaque. To, <laughs> yeah, Mo Green. This is the business we've chosen. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, but you know, I think uh, you know Susan was such an important part of Star Trek, and you you could get the sense that you know she felt you know felt you know it was a time where she was making a, a genuine creative collaboration, you know, yeah. and which wasn't acknowledged, and you know, Jean wasn't really willing to acknowledge. I mean, I, that was the first time, to be honest, I heard her uh, say that she was the one who said uh, it should be no one and not no man where no yeah. one has gone before. I hadn't heard that before. Me either. So um, that's, that's, that's really interesting, but it's, it's not surprising to hear that, a, you know, a woman would, would uh, um, you know, seize on the, uh, on the fact that perhaps it's time. Cause of course I understand what he's saying. Mankind. Right. He's, you know, when no man has gone before, it means, Mankind, yeah. but I could. I, I think it was a good decision. Understand, yeah. To change the, it the, to know the sentiment no is one. understandable. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But know. Uh, you know what? What difference would it make? I mean, mankind is mankind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of interesting things. And of course, if you want to know more about Susan, you you know you can go to Inside Track and her eBay store, where you can purchase a lot of her autographed scripts and uh, mm -hmm. books, and of course her memoir. My Secret Life with Star Trek's creator, Gene Roddenberry. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gene, what did you think of Susan, working with Susan? Well, she was, uh, she was wonderful, and she would always uh, uh, lend a hand whenever uh, necessary. And uh, she was, you know, it was a great, uh, great association, and I'm, I'm happy to have uh, had her working for me. Thank you, Gene. Always good to have you join us on the Trexperts uh, with a few insights that we wouldn't get otherwise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, by the way, I got to, I got to thank you again. This will be a while since this happened, but we had a lovely dinner last night. A lot, a lot of people think these dinners only happen when we're traveling, but uh, thanks to the largesse of Mr. Dockerman, uh, he did not want to allow my birthday to pass without, uh, us getting together. We got together with some good, uh, fellow Trexperts, Kay Rydell and, uh, Mojo, Adam Mojo Leibowitz, uh, for some great Italian and, uh, um, at, uh, Dantana's and we had a lovely evening, didn't we, Darren? Yeah, it was great. It was great. And, uh, the food was excellent, but way too much of it. And, uh, I, I had a great time and it was, uh, you know, cherry cokes for everybody. <laughs> well, I'm very appreciative. It was a lovely evening. And I know as painful as it must have been, Darren got me a very special gift. I, I, Ashley, you want to know what Darren got me? What did Darren get you? He got me an action figure from the black hole of, of the malevolent robot Maximilian. Maximilian. Yeah. Oh, I am so jealous. Yeah. Pretty cool, huh? That I didn't, is awesome. I didn't want it stinking up my place. Oh, <laughs> man. Come you on. Maybe Max this will get goes shut to up hell and becomes hole. the devil. Yeah. yeah I, that's my next Super 8 movie. I look forward to the margaritas that you're going to make with the Maximilian doll. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or you can whisk your eggs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, this is, this is great. Got to watch where you point those things. Um, but... Sure. Uh, but anyway, uh, a great uh, welcoming everybody back to the Trexpress. Thanks for joining us for another all-new episode. Of course, we'll be back next week with an all-new episode. 
Uh, we hope you'll follow us on social and Glorious Trek and Glorious Trek Experts wherever you socialize. And uh, if, you're yeah. Yeah, if you're ah. a socialator, <laughs> and Lorette Span, you could just email us at tricks, at gmail.com. Um, and of course, rate us five stars wherever you listen to the podcast as well. Um, and if you want to subscribe, uh, um, you can do well, that at, uh, at, um, Trek Plus, Plus, Trek Plus, or, um, at the 430 movie and, yes. uh, at Apple, at Apple Podcasts. Yes. Yeah, thank you. That's great. You're absolutely right. <laughs> he passed the quiz. Rick Edelman would be proud. Um, <laughs> so uh, until next uh, next week, on behalf of uh, Ashley Darren and myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. Hey, Darren, is this rumor going around that you've got a new podcast? Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's sort of, it's Trexperts adjacent. Uh, it's, uh, it's a fun thing. Uh, you know, we what all, is know, it? we all, it's called the Weirded Beardos. Yeah. And before you react, uh, it's, uh, it's Kirk Thatcher, our uh, favorite punk on the bus and myself just talking about stuff, talking but about I hate our, him. You don't hate him. No, I'm kidding. I'm doing a oh. song from Star Trek Four. I oh, hate you, right? Right, right, right. I hate I you. Hate I berate you. you. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But I don't yes, berate yes. him and I don't hate him. And if no. he's involved with you, then I love you. Well, thanks. Um, and, you know, it's, it's basically just us talking about sort of uh, all things related to our history years? of working in the industry. You know, oh. together we have like 78 years of experience working in the in the uh, entertainment biz. I'm going to have to uh, listen to that. I thought it was about maintaining your beards or something. It has nothing to do with beards, actually, which is uh, kind of funny. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's fun. We just, we basically hang out for an hour every other week. So, uh, come and join us. Look for, uh, uh, the Weirded Beardos on Spotify. If you just want to hear the audio and, uh, we're actually on YouTube as well. The Weirded Beardos. Great. Can't wait to check it out. Thanks. First, uh, start of the right and straight on till morning. <laughs>